Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? What does that mean? What does it mean for you? Young business owner was opening a new branch office. And a friend of his was excited for him. He wanted to congratulate him. And so he sent an arrangement from a florist to the grand opening. But when the friend showed up, he was appalled when he read the inscription on his arrangement from him to say, rest in peace. And he went to the florist and he was so angry and he complained and the, and the florist said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But then the florist said, just look at it this way. Somewhere today, someone was buried underneath an arrangement that read, good luck in your new location. So, just look on the bright side. You know, nobody likes to think about death or talk about death. Not that young business owner or his friend, nor do any of us, but death is part of our reality. It's an inescapable part of what it means to be human in our world today. So the, the question is not, will we deal with death? Will we think about it? Will we have to face it and, and think through it? The question is how do we deal with death? And there's a number of different ways that people in our world today and, and in this room that we deal with death. One of the main ways, probably the most common, is to deal with death by fear. We're afraid of death. Larry King was once asked at the height of his career, he was asked on the air, what's your greatest fear? And without hesitation, he said, death. And he's not alone. In fact, many people, if not most people, are afraid of death to some degree. And statistics show that during the past two years, the fear of death has skyrocketed. In light of the pandemic and everything else happening in our world today, we're afraid of death. Did you know 350 people today in our world have died and had their bodies frozen in liquid nitrogen? And the hope is that someday a cure for death will be discovered, they'll be unfrozen and cured. They don't want to die. There's more than 2,000 people on a waiting list to be frozen when they die. We are afraid of death, and for good reason. Samuel Johnson, he, he said this, he said, no one can die without fear. It's not rational, he would say, to die without fear. No one, if they're honest, can die without fear. Now, is this true? Is he right? Another way that we deal with fear, or deal with death, it's not through fear, but through denial, we, we, instead of being controlled by our fear of death, we control our fear by shoving it down and consciously or subconsciously denying it. I read this past week about a millionaire, William Randolph Hearst. He had $200 million, and when he turned 75 years old, he no longer allowed the mention of death in his presence. You can't talk about it. And if you did then he would eject you from his presence and from his circle and not invite you. And that's what some of us would do, right, if we had that kind of power and resources. We would just eliminate anyone, any, anything that reminds us of our own mortality. And how this looks for some of us is, you know, we're not in denial about death, but we're in denial about the fact that we're aging, that we're getting closer one day 
to dying. I remember when my daughter was seven years old, we were talking, and I think I, I, I didn't let her have candy. If I remember right, something, she was upset. And I remember she looked at me and she said, one day you'll be old and I'll be tall and I'll be in charge. <laughs> and I still think about that. And I'm like, you know, I can't really argue with that. That's probably where we're headed, right? So as much as we would like to avoid thinking about it, the truth is we can't live in denial. Now, another way that some of us, and maybe this is you, you know, we deal with death. It's, it's not through fear or denial. It's through distraction. Some of you today would say, it's not that I'm in denial. I just don't think about death. In fact, many young, pe young people, this is where you are. It's, you know, I just don't think about it. And I fill my life up with all kinds of things so I don't have to think about it. And the way that our world is set up today, I mean, people die mostly in hospitals and away from kind of our awareness, unlike most generations in history. And so we just don't think about it. Woody Allen captures the spirit of this when he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that's the idea. I just don't want to be there mentally. I don't want to go there. So I distract myself from it. Now, it doesn't take a genius to, to think through this and say, you know, none of these really work. None of these strategies for dealing with death bring us the kind of poise and peace and, and confidence that we need to live in our broken world today. So let me ask you this question, and I want you to consider this. How do we deal with death? How do you deal with death? And this is not a theoretical question. I mean, all of us today, all of us have been impacted by death and are impacted in different ways. We hear about death in the news. You can't hide from it, social media. I mean, you just hear about it. We experience the reality of death when a loved one passes away. I mean, some of you, in the past year, you have lost someone close to you, and it's been devastating. Sometimes those losses are expected. Sometimes they're unexpected. But either way, they can just shake us to our core. And all of us, the sobering reality is we will have to face our own mortality at some point. And for some of us, it, you know, it feels a long ways off, but that day is coming. And so the, the question is, again, how do we deal with death? And does our faith in Jesus have something to do with that? And if so, what? Because again, even for Christians, we look at this, and this characterizes a lot of how we think and how we interact with death. So what does it mean to deal with death in a healthy, in a right, in a, in a biblical way? If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 54 to 57. Now, nobody expected it to happen. Nobody. When Jesus was crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and when he died, everybody expected him to stay dead because that's what dead people do. And after all, they saw him die. And so when Mary and Mary Magdalene came to the tomb three days later and they saw that the tomb was empty, their first response was not joy, it was sorrow. Somebody had taken the body of Jesus 
And then their sorrow turned to fear when they saw an angel. I, I gather that angels are, you know, scary because every time an angel shows up in Scripture, they're saying, don't be afraid. So, you know, they're afraid. And this angel says, don't be afraid. He's not here. He is risen. And then their sorrow that turned to fear turned to joy when they began to consider, could it be true that he's alive? And they, they ran back and they told the disciples, and the disciples didn't believe him. I don't blame them. I don't know if I would have either. But then the disciples saw the risen Jesus. They ate a meal with him. They talked to him. And then something extraordinary happened. In the first century, in the Roman Empire, the news about the death and resurrection of Jesus spread like wildfire, and it turned the world upside down. And Christianity was launched. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It does not exist because of tradition. The Bible wasn't even assembled as we know it until about 200 A.D., the reason that Christianity was launched and the reason it exists and the reason we're even gathered here today is because of an event. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If he never rose from the dead, we're not here. And none of this happened. But what we believe, based on the testimony of eyewitnesses in the first century, is that it did happen. And it's the bedrock of our faith. It changes everything. And so the Apostle Paul, about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, he writes a letter to a group of Christians in a small town called Corinth, and he's working out the implications of the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's communicating a lot of different things in this letter, but then he gets to chapter 15. And towards the end, he says this. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. So... What I'm about to say is really, really important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. Paul says, this is what's most important. In other words, if you don't get anything else I say, get this. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, he rose from the dead, and then he appeared. To people. And then Paul says this. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 500 people. In other words, he says, this is not some fairy tale. There are people around that, that saw the risen Jesus. Go talk to them. And then... Paul, in this chapter, he begins to work out the implications of the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, what is true for the believer in Christ? What's true? And he says, and this is so powerful, again, you know, in the first century, in a society where death was everywhere, Paul, he says to the believer, he says, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can have confidence and trust that one day your body will be resurrected too. And that your body will be clothed with immortality, with an imperishable body of the resurrection. It'll be like Jesus' body. And then he says this, and, and look with me at, at verse 54. 
He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the key phrase in these verses and what we're going to focus on today is verse 55. And it says this. It says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? What does that mean? And what does that mean for you? What difference does that, does the reality of this make in your life today, this Easter? Today, we're going to talk about three implications of this idea, that, that if this is true, what the Bible is putting before us today, if it's true, here are three implications for us. And the first one is simply this. It's that because of the resurrection, death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The most common word in the verses we looked at is the word victory, the Greek word nikos, from which we get the word Nike. It appears four times in the New Testament. Three of those times are in these verses. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Paul can't stop talking about this. This victory that we, that we have because of Jesus. Now, how that word, nikos, would have been used in the first century was in the context of military warfare. In the Greek or Roman Empire, the army would ride off to battle and they would go fight and then after the battle, they would send a messenger back to the city. And the messenger would come back and come into the city. And everybody in the city would circle around. They'd all come close because they were anxious. They wanted to know what happened. And so they would gather around in all of their fear and anticipation. And, and, and the messenger, he would come in and he would wait. And they're all gathered around him. And then he would say, Nikos! Victory! We won, and there would be a great sense of celebration and joy and relief. It's almost like Paul has seen the battle. He has seen the battle between Jesus and death and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's riding back in the, into the city, so to speak, to tell these Christians, and the, the Holy Spirit is telling us today, victory! Jesus has won! Now, is the victory for Jesus or is it for all of us? Who's it for? You know, it's interesting. John Dominic Crossan has studied artwork of the resurrection. And what he notes is that after the resurrection of Jesus, you have two distinct directions in which imagery and artwork went. You have the West, the Western expression of the church, which we're a part of that stream. And then you have the Eastern expression of the church. Now, the West... A lot of the images in the artwork tend to look like this. This is a 14th century painting by Andrea Benuto, an Italian. And a lot of the Western art, you see things like this. Jesus has rose from the dead, and he's victorious. That He's holding a flag. It's a white flag, but it, it doesn't mean surrender. It means victory. And he's exalted over the tomb, and he did it. He conquered death. Now, contrastly, the Eastern fathers and mothers of the faith, they tended to depict the resurrection like this. This is a painting by Gorameh, the early church. And there's several things about this that, 
that I love. First of all, what you see depicted, and this is consistent, is that Jesus is not just rising above the tomb. He's trampling on death in Hades. He's emerging from it, defeating it. But what also you note in this is he's not alone. Jesus is grasping by the hand, this is Adam and Eve representing humanity. That long line behind them, we're a part of that. And, and the, the people on this side of Jesus are the Old Testament saints who are watching and they're participating. And so the idea is that Jesus defeats death and he rises from the grave in triumph, pulling us with him up from the grave. And this is so important because I think we lose sight of this aspect of the resurrection of Jesus. Who is the victory for? Look at what Paul says. Paul says it this way. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the messenger rides into the city, listen, we're a part of the people and we rejoice because it's for us too. So because of the resurrection, death has been defeated. Now, is that victory future or present tense? You know, verse 55 makes it seem like it's in the future. Verse 57 makes it seem like it's in the present. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like death has been defeated today. Sure seems like death is alive and well. And what the scriptures would say is the decisive blow has been dealt. That Jesus has stomped on the head of the snake. He's defeated death. But the full realization of that victory is still to come. It's much like in World War II, D-Day happened June of 1944. And most historians believe that from that point on, Hitler could not win the war. The Allies were going to win, but Hitler did not surrender for 11 months. And some of the worst fighting of World War II happened between the two events. And that's where we live today. Death has been defeated, but the full realization of that has not been experienced. Not yet, but it will be. So death has been defeated. The second implication of this is that because of the resurrection, death has been disarmed. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now, this word for sting, it refers to the, to the bite or sting of an insect or an animal like a bee, a scorpion, or a snake. I remember one night in, in Texas, my, my dog, my fierce five-pound toy poodle, Chancho is his name, he, he was barking at the front door, and so I went to the front door and I opened it, and there was a huge snake, not a grass snake, this is like a thick water moccasin coiled up on the, on the doormat on our front porch. And so I karate kicked that snake. Just kidding, I, I didn't do that. I, I, I slammed the door shut. Right? Why? Because I'm scared of snakes. Only to realize that my little dog had jumped out on the front porch. It was out there with the snake. And so it does have a happy ending. It's, you know, I, I got a weapon and I went and I, you know, protected my dog and my house from this enemy. Right? But the reason a snake scares many of us is they're dangerous. They can put you in the hospital. Right? What does it mean that death has lost its sting. We have to go to the next verse. 
Verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin. Now, scholars point out that phrase, the sting of death is sin, can be misunderstood. What this is saying is that sin is the one that stings us with death. In other words, sin is the snake, and death is the venom. Death is the weapon of sin. And this is consistent in the New Testament. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Sin is what leads to death. So to deal with death, you have to deal with sin. To deal with the venom, you got to deal with the snake. And what Paul says is that is precisely what Jesus has done. Through his perfect life of love and holiness and his death on the cross for sinners like us, Jesus has dealt with the fundamental problem, which is sin. He hasn't just dealt with the symptom. And as a result, sin and death have been disarmed. Now back to verse 55. Where, O death, is your sting? What's the answer to that? I know it's a rhetorical question. What's what's the answer? Where, O death, is your sting? The answer is it went into Jesus. That's where it went. The, the, the reason death does not have any sting is because it went into Jesus, Jesus in the face of death. Remember what we talked about earlier? Jesus did not run away in fear. He did not deny it. He did not distract himself from it. He faced death. He stared it down. And death stung him with all the venom that it had. And as a result, there's none left. And that is why Paul says again, these words, they matter. He says, in verse 57, he says, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a cost. Jesus, he took the snake for us, you see. How much does God love you? How much must Jesus Christ love you today? that he would take the sting of death in your place so you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. So death has been defeated. Death has been disarmed. Now, what's the the, the big deal with that? You know, what are the implications? Well, there's one, and this is so powerful, it comes out of the text, but it's bigger than that. And this is what I want us to really let sit on us today. And, And to think about this, this Easter, that If because of the resurrection, death has been defeated, and if death has been disarmed, then here's what's true for the believer. Because of the resurrection, death has been redefined. Death has been redefined. Now, throughout history, we've portrayed and represented death in all kinds of ways. One of the most popular images of death is this. It's it's the Grim Reaper. A shadowy, scary figure, although this one's not, this one's more PG um, for the children. I actually, I actually Googled cute Grim Reaper. <laughs> because when you search Grim Reaper, you get some spooky stuff, right? But this is what we think about with death, right? Another image that comes to our minds when we think about death is this it's a, a deep, dark cave. Thomas Hobbes, before his death, he said, I'm about to go on the final voyage, a leap in the dark. How many people in our world today think about death like that? 
It's just a leap in the dark. We don't know where it goes. Another image in our minds for some people is this, that death is a dead end, that everything stops there, and there's no way around it. There's no alternate routes. It's over. You know, Jean-Paul Sartre, he captures this in the title of his existentialist play, No Exit. And that's what this kind of a worldview leads to, right, is there is no exit. Death is the end. But none of these images, none of them capture the reality for the believer in Jesus. Because again, if Jesus rose from the dead, and if what we're reading today is true, then for the Christian, death is not a grim reaper. Death is not a dead end. Death is not a deep, dark cave. For the believer in Jesus, death is a doorway. And it's a doorway into the presence of God. Now, there's still mystery because none of us know exactly what's on the other side of that door, but we know that God is with us and that we, when we die, we walk through the doorway into unending joy in God's presence. Now, Jesus, when he's talking to Martha in John chapter 11, Martha's brother, Lazarus, has just died. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that the one who believes in Jesus will live even though they die? And then the next part, he says, whoever lives never dies. What, what does that mean? The key is the word lives. In another place in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, Jesus, he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Now does this say that whoever believes in the one who sent Jesus, whoever believes in God, will have eternal life someday? No, it doesn't say that. It says, whoever believes has eternal life. And eternal life cannot stop by definition. There is no stop. There is no break not the last 30 minutes at the hospital before somebody kicks the bucket, not for one millisecond. It cannot stop. You see, for the, for the Christian, again, this is so powerful. Death is not the cessation of who you are. It's, it, it, nothing changes in terms of who you are in relationship to God. You pass through the doorway into God's presence. So what, what difference does this make, you know, for you and for me today? This makes all the difference. This changes everything. In, in the first century, the life expectancy in the Roman Empire was 35 years. Think about that for a moment. Not only did you have threats like illness and violence, which everybody felt and experienced. You had on top of that, for Christians, the very real threat of persecution. And in the midst of that, I mean, death is everywhere. In the midst of that culture, 
These followers of Jesus in the first century, they boldly proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus and the good news that we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. They boldly proclaimed the gospel and many of them were put to death. And we read, not just in the New Testament, but throughout church history, we read stories of Old, you know, New Testament saints like James and people like Stephen saying, Father, forgive them as they're dying. They're singing. Now, how do you explain that? How do you make sense of that? The only way to explain it, the only way to make sense of it is what we're talking about this morning. That for those believers in Jesus, they believed in the very core of who they were, that death was not the final destination. That death was a doorway into the presence of God. And so they lived differently. You see, the, the power of the resurrection for us is it doesn't just give us a new destination for when we die. It gives us a new definition of death that influences how we live today. And, and for us, the, the invitation is to live in light of that reality, that, that death has been defeated, disarmed, and it's redefined. And for some of us today, we think, well, death is way off in the distance. This isn't for me. Listen, many of these believers in Jesus, they were in their 20s. They were in their 30s. And they lived totally different. You see, Paul would say, and, and I feel this this Easter, you know, it's if we are not experiencing the kind of courage and poise and confidence that comes, then we're not embracing this. We're not letting it sit on us enough. See, if you believe this to be true, if I believe this to be true, that death is a doorway, then we can face death. We don't have to deal with it through denial or distraction. We can face it. Now, it's still tragic. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and we weep too. I mean, death is awful. We never in Scripture are called to call it something that it's not. Death is awful. Christians, above all people, should be able to be fiercely realistic. We can face it. And at the same time, we face it, but we're not overwhelmed with fear. We don't run away. We don't let it alter the way we live. Why? Because we know that death does not have the last word. That it's a doorway into the presence of God. The resurrection for you, this Easter for me, it doesn't just give us a new destination when we die. Oh, we'll, we'll go off to the floaty happy place. It gives us a new definition for death and for life now, here and now. Don't you want that kind of poise, that kind of courage and confidence? It's all here. And again, I, I think for all of us on our journey of faith, we will never get our arms fully around it, but the, what can happen for us is we come to Easter year after year and we, we can become numb to this. And I sense in my own heart, God just waking me up and saying, realize the magnitude of this, that Jesus has defeated death and live in light of that. What does that look like for you? 
You know, there's a, a, another door that many of us think about, and it, it comes in the book series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And it's a, a book series depicting spiritual reality through a story. It's not just for kids, it's for adults too. It's, it's amazing. And on the last page of the final book, some of the children, you know, they've, they've gone through the doorway. It's like over here is the Shadowlands, as C.S. Lewis calls it, and they've They've gone through the wardrobe into Narnia, which is this magical place. And in the last book, on the final page, they're sad because they don't want to have to go back. They want to stay. And we're told that Aslan, he, he talks to these children who are concerned, and Aslan says to them, have you not guessed? And it says, and I just love this line, it says, their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. How beautiful. Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. And then Aslan speaks and he says this. He says, the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This, this is the morning. They didn't have to go back. They were home and it's almost like C.S. Lewis, he, he takes a break from the story and he just pulls all of us in. It's almost like he says, this has implications for you and for me. And he, and he says this of the children. He says, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Man, women, this is what awaits us one day. This is where we're headed, through the doorway, into the presence of God, never to return, unending joy and peace. And so the invitation is to live in light of that. And all of that's true, all of this is true today, because... Jesus is risen. And none of it's true if, if that did not happen. And so today, this Easter, as C.S. Lewis says of the children, may be it true of you and, and of me, may our hearts leap and a wild hope rise within us. Why? Because he is risen. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that death is defeated, that it's disarmed, and through Christ now, it is redefined. It's still real, but it has lost its power, and it does not have the last word. You do. And God, we're moving to a reality where all things will be made new, where death and the brokenness of this world will be gone like a bad dream. And so, God, would you help us today to live in light of that sure and certain future? Give us the wisdom to know what, what it looks like, God, to work out the implications, to live with the poise and confidence that comes from embracing the resurrection. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? So, God, we praise you now. 
for the victory that we share in through Jesus. And we, we lift our voices, we lift our hearts to you. In Jesus' name.